Morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Nice to see you. Now then, today, have you ever noticed that uh, names go in and out of fashion, popular names go in and out of fashion, different times and different places, different names are popular. Now, there's this great website where you can look in the UK at what names have been popular and when. I was looking at a few, so you can see. So Harry, you can see, look, has made a bit of a comeback in the 90s and now very popular uh, today in, in the top, you know, two or three, top, top name a few years ago. And uh, some people would, they like to kind of look for patterns, what's like brought these names back into popularity. Any guesses for Harry? What's uh, brought Harry? Prince Harry, yes, well done, Prince Harry. Okay, uh, if you have a, a little look at another one, Lisa. Here we go, Lisa had a, a little sudden shot up and then it's come crashing back down again. But uh, I don't know if it's good to have a popular name or if people like to have a unique name. I don't know, I knew, a bit of a mixture. Any guesses on Lisa? What's, what caused in the 70s made Lisa really popular? Is it 70s around then? Any guesses? Oh, I don't, well, I don't know actually, it might be, I don't know. No, but uh, the one I had was Elvis Presley's daughter, uh, Lisa Presley, apparently that got that going, could, could be another as well. Uh, and then here's another one, Luke, look, didn't even feature until the 70s, and then suddenly very, very popular has come down again in recent years. Any guesses for Luke? Star Wars. Star Wars, yeah, exactly. There we are, everyone wants to be like Luke Skywalker. There we go, lovely. Now then, we'll come back to this in a moment, okay? But uh, we've been looking over the summer at our My Story Eyewitness Account series. And today we've got our final part, so summer is officially ending today. Um, so what we've been looking over in the summer is the people who are named in the Gospels. So people that encountered Jesus, uh, and um, most people who encountered Jesus, apart from kind of, you know, famous people or, you know, the disciples or whatever, but most people who encountered Jesus, they're not actually named. We just hear things like a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and things of this nature. But some people are. Some people are named. So, for example, we saw Bartimaeus. Jesus healed uh, multiple blind people, but one of them is named, and he was Bartimaeus, and he is named. And people have asked the question, why are some people named and some people not? And New Testament historians have suggested that the people who are named, we have their names because they went on to be followers of Jesus themselves and were then known in the church community, in the early church, and they told their stories, and it's their story, if you like, that gets written down. So rather than it being written down because, you know, Peter or one of the other disciples or followers of Jesus, you know, remembered, oh, one day when we were with Jesus, this happened, and, you know, it gets recorded. But actually, Bartimaeus went around telling his story, and then at one point, one of the gospel authors writes it down. So as we've been looking through these stories of these named people, it's almost, it's their story that we are encountering written down by the gospel authors. And Luke, in his gospel, he famously kind of references this little bit and says how he he, um, took his account from eyewitnesses. So he says this at the beginning of his gospel. He says, many have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. 
And so over the weeks as we've been looking at these different stories and these encounters that people had with Jesus and, you know, seeing the amazing things Jesus did, we've also kind of seen over the weeks the, like, markers of authenticity of these accounts. We see how these are real people who were really known and people could go and speak to them and ask them about what happened and check out, do they get the story correct? We saw that what happened to Jesus was a public event. It wasn't just done in a corner, but people witnessed it, people saw it. And we've seen the honesty of the accounts as well, that you know, the followers of Jesus, when they told their stories later, they didn't hide the fact that sometimes you know, they were slow to understand, or they made a mistake, or they put their foot in it. But you know, they shared their embarrassing moments, and we see the authenticity of these accounts. They didn't try to airbrush it out later. So anyway, before we get into today's account, I'm going to look at our last story. I have got with you one more history thing to share, if you would like to hear it. I think it's really interesting. You, you may not. If you, don't, if, if, it's, if you think this little bit is boring, just humor me for the next five minutes. Okay, well, I'll try to do it quicker. But this is actually some really recent research, just like in the last 10 years or so. And um, Richard uh, Beckham, uh, who is a New Testament historian, he, he includes this in his book, which is kind of, which inspired this series for us this summer called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. Okay, so you know how we saw that different names are popular at different places and at different times. And the same was true in Jesus' time. You know, certain names were popular when Jesus was around and where he lived, and other names weren't. And in the surrounding countries, certain names were popular and other names weren't. Now, in 2002, an Israeli scholar called Tal Ilan, she collected and listed all the Jewish names recorded in Palestine that have been found, whether in written documents or artifacts or burial inscriptions or wherever a name was written down. She's, she collected them all and collated them all together in, in and around the time that Jesus was alive. And she compiled uh, all these together, over 3,000 people. And she said it's almost like a phone book of, you know, of that time where you've got the people's names and where they found it and what they found it on. And uh, so what she's done then, what they were able to do then with this is to see, well, what names were popular then? And, you know, where were they popular and how long for and in that location? And so Richard Beckham, he took this kind of research that this lady had done and said, well, let's compare these names to the names we see in the Gospels. And let's see if they, let's see how they match up. Do they match up to the popular names? So let's have a look at some of the popular names. So first of all, some, some, this is the popular names, the top 10 names in Palestine in the kind of around the time that Jesus was alive that this Israeli scholar found. And you can see straight away there's a, a few matches in there of names that appear in Gospel, the Gospel and Acts, and you know, quite uh, frequently as well. But we got more, we got more data for the men. Um, just you know, that's, they just found more men's names written down. Uh, so we can look at that in a little more detail. So this is the top 11 men's names uh, in and around the time when Jesus was alive. This is on all different documents and stuff. And uh, let me break it down for you a little bit, okay? So 15.6% of men, which is quite a lot, were called either Simon or Joseph. So if you'd forgotten someone's name, if you went with Simon or Joseph, you've got a good chance, you know, it's like one in, I don't know, whatever that is, one in six or something, so you'd have a good, you'd have a good chance. So it's called Simon or Joseph. 41.5% had one of the other nine most popular names, okay? And then 7.8% had a unique name, so a name that was only, you know, found once. Okay, so this is like in the whole place and all these different documents. So let's see how that matches up to the names 
in the Gospels and Acts and, and the names that we see there and how that breaks down. So we can see in the Gospels and Acts, Simon, the, all, all the different names, Simon and Joseph makes up 18.2% of the names, so very similar. Uh, the nine most popular names makes up 40% of the names, and then there's 4% with unique names. Now then, bear with me if you're thinking, what's the big deal about this? Okay, what makes this more interesting is that when you look at Jewish names that were most popular in the surrounding nations, they, they, the names that were popular there were different. It wasn't the same names that were popular. So, for example, if you compare Palestine with Egypt, which is next door, you can see that in the top seven names, they're really different. So two are, two are the same, but in a different order. But Simon, which was the most popular, doesn't feature at all. So in Israel, a certain set of names were popular, and that had something to do with their politics and their history and recent things. But in the surrounding nations in Jewish communities, different names were popular whilst Jesus was alive. Are you with me? Okay. So why, what does this tell us? Why is this important? Well, this, is, this tells us that the Gospels are a product of their time and place. The, it's, um, they authentically bear the marks of the time. So for if the stories of Jesus, some might you know, ask, well, how do we know the stories of Jesus weren't developed later? How do we know that you know, there's not a Chinese whispers effect? How do we know that as churches spread around, you know, across the world into different countries, that church communities thought, oh, we better make up some stories about Jesus and write them down. How do we know that didn't happen? Well, if that was the case, then it's unlikely that the names are going to match, especially when you think that as the church grew and spread, it was increasingly uh, attracted Gentiles, so, you know, people who weren't in the Jewish community. So how are they going to know what names to put into the stories that would actually match the names that were actually being used and were popular at the time, and so accurately so. So, for example, imagine that us today, imagine you wanted to write some stories about someone in France, I don't know, maybe like Napoleon and his a battle that he fought about 200 years ago. You know, what names are you going to use? Have a little think, you know, what names are you going to use? What's the chances of you getting them accurately correct to, you know, what it actually was? Pierre, Jean-Luc, I don't know. I don't, that may not have been popular. That's all I know. Anyway, so Richard Beckham, this is what he says. He says, the names of Palestinian Jews in the Gospels and Acts coincide very closely with the names of the general population of Jewish Palestine in this period but not to the names of the Jews in the diaspora, so Jews who'd spread out across to other nations. In this light, it becomes very unlikely that the names in the Gospels are late accretions, so late additions to the traditions or to the stories. Outside Palestine, the appropriate names simply could not have been chosen. Even within Palestine, it would be very surprising if random accretions of names to this or that tradition would fit the actual pattern of names in the general population. So, in the gospel accounts, we see the names are also a marker of their authenticity. Um, and this can be added to all the other details in the Gospels that kind of mark their authenticity. Things like the place names and the geography and archaeological evidence that matches up. So it's another evidence of the authenticity of their accounts. So I hope, hope you enjoyed that. So I hope that was a little interesting fact for you. I thought it was very interesting. But I mean, it's a little nugget to take, to take with you. Now then, should we crack on with the actual talk? Okay, so don't, don't worry. I, I, the rest is shorter in light of the exceptionally long introduction. Okay, so, so today then we're going to look at our final eyewitness account. And 
What's interesting in this account is, you know, through the series, we've been saying how, you know, we know these accounts because these people told their stories. Well, in this account, we actually get to see them telling their stories. So it's like, it's like inception, you know, it's like a thing and anything. Anyway, okay, so today we're looking at Cleophas on the road to Emmaus. And I actually did a talk on this at Easter time last year, okay? So I'm just going to give like a summary of it today because I didn't want to go like all over it again. But if you think, oh, I'd really like to learn more about Cleopas and get into it, then if you go onto our website or did you know that if we're actually an Apple podcast as well, if you want to listen in the car, so if you go on there, then you can find it on there and I, I've added it to this series here, okay? So if anyone wants more Cleopas, you can find it there. Okay, so let's have a little look today. So, so what's happened? Jesus, this is a, was at Easter time. Jesus being been crucified on the Friday. Then on the Sunday morning, the women had gone to the tomb. They discovered it was empty. They see angels saying that Jesus is alive. And then as they leave the tomb, Matthew tells us that they witnessed Jesus. They saw him themselves. And then they run to tell the men about it. But the men don't believe them. And then Luke, he switches scenes. And this is what we're at today. So it says this in Luke 24. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So Jesus walks alongside them, but they don't realize it's Jesus yet. And, you know, I'm not sure how that, how that works, but God keeps them from recognizing, and there's a reason for it, and we'll see as we go. So Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet. Oh, hold on, there we go. He was a prophet powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. So if we pause here for a moment, who is this Cleopas who is talking and sharing, you know, about what they've heard and, and everything? Well, he's only mentioned, it's the only time he's mentioned uh, in the Gospels, but in John's Gospel at the cross, we see how Mary, the sister of Mary, Jesus' mum, uh, is standing at the cross and it describes as Mary... Mary of Clopas, or Mary, wife of Clopas. And Clopas and Cleopas are like the same name. One's in Hebrew, one's in Greek. And it's an unusual, it was a rare name. It's one of those unique names. Um, so it's probably the same person. So it's likely that Cleopas here is Mary's brother-in-law and Jesus' uncle on Mary's side. 
Now, his companion isn't named, who's walking along. We don't know who that is. Many guess it could well be his wife, Mary. And uh, I think, you know, if it was Mary, maybe she's not named, because as we see, you can detect in Cleopas's answer that even though the women had been to the tomb and had said this amazing thing had happened, he wasn't quite sure whether to believe them. And so maybe him and Mary are having an argument on the road, and Mary's saying, what? you know, come on, Cleopas, you know, trying to knock some sense into him. Uh, you know, maybe she's convinced, and she's trying to convince her husband. I don't know. What's probably the case is that Luke, as we saw earlier, you know, he investigated, he heard it from eyewitness accounts, so likely that he maybe met Cleopas, heard this story from him directly, and never met whoever the companion is, so he only includes Cleopas's name, because like, that was his source, so he puts him in. Anyway, with Cleopas's story, we see again this authenticity, that he doesn't hide the fact that he's being a little bit slow to catch the drift of what's happening. And in fact, we see this in Jesus' response. When Jesus says this to him, this, oh, here we go. Uh, here we go. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. See, if I was, I was retelling this story this happened to me. I was like, oh, and, and Jesus said to me, how insightful and, you know, how thoughtful, but no, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, so all through the Old Testament, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And this is why he'd like kept his identity hidden, so they, he could explain it from the Old Testament so they could like see it for themselves. Okay, next up. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he was going on. Uh, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So Jesus pretended he's going on. They convinced him, you know, come in, come in and have some food with us and stay with us. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. This is Jesus. Suddenly... Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. Oh, I wish we had a long time to talk about that, but I'm moving on today. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Then the two uh, scriptures to us. Have I skipped aside there? Here we go. And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven disciples and the others who'd gathered with them, and they said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Simon. I'm not sure how many of the Simons, uh, I don't know, but I'm assuming Simon Peter. Uh, then the two from Emmaus told their story. So here we are, we see them through here, telling their story of how Jesus appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. So, we have this amazing story and this amazing encounter of Cleopas and his companions and the people in the house and then rushing back to Jerusalem and then the disciples are seeing Jesus and then they're telling their stories then suddenly Jesus appears. So, one comment on this story and then I'm going to sum up our whole, the little series as a whole. So, first of all, in this story, we see with Cleopas and his companion that they are, you know, they're down. They've given up hope and they're grieving when Jesus first comes alongside them. When Jesus approaches them, he says, they stood still, their faces downcast. And it reminded me this week when I was 
caught, some, caught on the news. I was just watching it for a little bit, and they were showing all the people lining up for the Queen's, um, you know, um, at Westminster Hall to visit the Queen's, uh, pay their respects to the Queen and everything. And the reporter commenting on it, uh, and this is towards the beginning of week, she said how it was a somber and sadness, at, you know, the atmosphere, and that this is the mood of the nation. And, um, you know, I, as the weeks progress, maybe the, the mood is lifted. I don't know. I don't know if everyone feels this way. On my street, recently, all the new students have moved into the street. They didn't seem um, particularly somber and sad. They seem excited to be starting their term. So, but, you know, we all go through things of this nature, don't we, at times in our lives. We all go through challenges, grief, struggle, and we live, you know, we live in a broken and fractured world, and we experience these things, and we're vulnerable to these things, and we know, you know, we know these things. And when we go through these things, something in us cries out, they're like, this isn't right. You know, this isn't, this shouldn't be this way. But here we see how Jesus comes in to this situation. He comes into these people in grief, and he walks alongside them. And in the same way, Jesus comes into our lives. He came in, God himself came into our broken and fractured world. Because God said as well, this isn't right. This brokenness and this fracturedness of our world and what we experience, it isn't right. And he's moved. We see, you know, when we saw Jesus, when he saw Mary and Martha weeping over Lazarus, it says, Jesus was deeply moved and he wept. God was moved and he came into the world himself as a man, Jesus, to bring a rescue and a restoration to our world because he does not want it to stay broken, but he wants it to be restored. And that's what Jesus came to do. And he did it when he gave his life for us on the cross and he experienced brokenness himself. And three days later, as we've just been reading, he was raised to life again. And now he's alive in heaven and one day he will return. And the Bible says how he will bring, make all things new because a new creation and our world won't be broken and fractured anymore. But we will live in a freedom and a peace and it will be amazing. But right now, as we go through this world, we know that Jesus walks alongside us, just like he walked alongside Cleopas and their companion. As they walked with Jesus and he ministered to them, we see a, a change as they walk through that they're sad, they went from sadness and grieving and mourning to joy. And you know, each of us, when we go through these challenges as well, we can also be walked through by Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and grief and sadness, we can find, just as Adam shared, we can find joy and freedom, even as we know the challenging things that we go through. Now, with the queen, she... She put her faith in Jesus, just coming back to the, you know, that reflectioning in the news. And she shared on many occasions how this was her experience and how Jesus has empowered her and enabled her and walked with her through the things that she's had to go through and the things that she's experienced in her life. And right now, she will be enjoying life in Jesus' presence. She will be enjoying meeting him and worshiping and, and I mean, the amazingness of heaven and she will be having that moment of seeing Jesus face to face for herself. You see how excited the disciples were. When he appeared to Simon and he appeared to us. She'll be having her, she'll have had her moment. Isn't that amazing? Normally people are excited to see the queen. It's like role reversal over here, isn't it? Now then, for us too, you know, we know when we put our faith in Jesus that death is not the end. 
and he has for us the gift of eternal life. And one day we will have that moment of encountering Jesus face to face. We've heard all these stories of people who encountered Jesus, and we too will encounter Jesus face to face, and it's going to be amazing. And if you haven't kind of checked out our Imagine Heaven series yet, which explores people who had near-death experiences and, you know, through like resuscitation or whatever, brought back to life, but they had an experience of encountering Jesus face to face, I encourage you to check it out on our website. We're going to do another one soon because it's amazing and it'll get you excited for, for that. Anyway, today as well, we know the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in our lives, walking through with us each day, and that is for us. And so as we think of our nation at the moment, and you know, if that is the mood of the nation, well then we have a message, and we have an experience that we know that people need, that people need in their lives. Because Jesus is amazing, and what he walks with us through is amazing. But let's not just keep it for us, because our world needs it too. And so as we do that, we can be encouraged by three things from this series that we've been looking at together. And okay, so here we go. Let's round it up. Number one, throughout this series, we've seen how the eyewitness stories involved Jesus meeting ordinary people from a variety of backgrounds and situations. You had the wealthy and the powerful, like Simon the Pharisee or Zacchaeus, who were successful and gained wealth. And then in the middle of their success, they're like stopped in their tracks when they encounter Jesus and they realize there's more to life than what they thought. And there's a different way of living that brings life. Then you have the broken and in need, like Bartimaeus, a beggar who'd been born blind, or Jairus, whose daughter was dying, and yet they experienced Jesus' healing and rescue. We saw strangers, like Simon of Cyrene, who is randomly pulled out of a crowd, you know, on his way somewhere else to carry Jesus' cross, but suddenly he finds himself witnessing the moment that this innocent man, Jesus, God himself, gave his own life for us on the cross to close family, like Jesus' own brothers who were skeptical and didn't know what to make of Jesus, didn't know what to make of their brother until they see him risen from the dead and realize, wow, Jesus really is the Son of God. This brother is more than we thought. To Jesus' friends, like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who didn't just experience a miracle in their lives, but experienced just the joy of being friends with Jesus, eating with him, laughing with him, spending time with him, hanging out with him as friends together. To people who were invited by friends, like Nathaniel, who's going about his everyday life until Philip comes and says, I've met this person called Jesus, come and see for yourself. Different people, different backgrounds, different situations, but in all of them, each of them, in Jesus, they discover something life-changing. They discover the very thing that they've been longing for, something that was missing, something that was more. They find the welcome, the forgiveness, the peace, the love, the rescue, the friendship of God, the things that our hearts long for in our lives that can only be fulfilled in a relationship with God. Jesus put it this way, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So this can encourage us, each of us in our situation, whatever we're going through or whatever our background, that Jesus meets us in our lives today in real ways. Wherever we're at, he comes to meet us where we are. And Jesus brings himself to our situation to bring life where we are. Every life is important to Jesus. Every person is precious to him. Everyone is valuable to Jesus. Everyone you know, everyone you work with, everyone you meet, everyone in your school, in your university, 
your colleagues on your street is valuable to Jesus, and so are you, every person. And so for us, when we think of our friends, when we think of our families, when we think of our neighbors, our colleagues, wherever they're at, wherever their background, Jesus has the desire, the longing, the power to meet them in their lives and bring a transformation. So let's never like write someone off in our lives. Let's never write ourselves off because Jesus wants to meet them. And he does that through us. So number two, let's be encouraged to share our stories too. These eyewitnesses, they shared their stories and they've traveled right down to us today and they're changing lives even today. So Adam mentioned about the new, uh, starting a new Alpha in a few weeks down in Pub on the Pond. And if you go along to Alpha, you'll hear Nicky Gumbel, who's kind of been leading Alpha for a while. And he shares his story. And he says how he was a student, he was studying law, and he described himself as a vociferous atheist. Uh, I, I don't use that word very often. Am I saying that right, Helen? English teacher, vociferous? That's a good word, isn't it? Some homework this week. See if you can get vociferous into a sentence. That's a challenge here, isn't it? He calls that a vociferous and enthusiastic atheist. But then, while he was at university, his two closest friends, they became Christians, and one day they came and told him about it, and he says he thought to himself, oh no, what have they done? So he thought, right, I need to convince them that they've made a mistake. So he said he went and he found a Bible, and for the first time he began to read the accounts of Jesus' life. And he said that he read it, he started like 10 in the night, and he read it all through the night, fell asleep, woke up the next morning, and continued reading it through. And he says, that's how I encountered Jesus. He read it to critique it, but instead he discovered and encountered Jesus for himself. And he says, it's like I had a spiritual hunger that I wasn't even aware of. And now he's gone on to share his story, and he shares it on the Alpha Course. And what an impact that's had across the world. So for us too, let's share our stories where and about we are. And then finally, number three, in case it's not obvious, don't just share our story, but feel free to share anyone's story that you know, any story about Jesus and the difference he makes in our lives and someone in this room, someone that you know, or any of the stories of the encounters that we've been looking at. Because that's what the, author, the, gospel of the, author, the gospel authors did. People shared their story, and they, they wrote it down so we could read it. So if you've heard a great story, when you're at a share stories. Share stories of what Jesus has done in our lives and the people that we know. I remember one time in a talk sharing one of Tammy's stories. Um, and it wasn't a chicky story, although they are excellent stories. Um, but it was a time when, Tammy, you prayed for someone in, in your car. You were driving along, and they were complaining of like a neck injury or something they'd had. And at the traffic lights, you prayed for them, and they got healed. And I shared this story in one talk on a Sunday. And a couple in Porth Call um, happened to listen to the talk that week, and um, they needed prayer for healing. Um, and so they decided to come along the next Sunday after hearing me share Tammy's, Tammy's story. And uh, so they came along, and they sat at the back, and they went all the way through the meeting, and then the meeting closed. And uh, at that moment, when the meeting closed, 
the person in front of them happened to turn around and introduce themselves. And that person happened to be Tammy. And she said, uh, oh, hi, have you been here before? Um, you know, my name is Tammy. And they were like, oh, you're the very reason we came. We, <laughs> we heard your story. And so we came. And uh, they shared what they needed. I'm not sure. I can't remember what it was. And Tammy, you prayed for them. And they got healed uh, in, in the room. Isn't that amazing? So let's be ready to share stories. Steal Tammy's stories. Steal anyone's story. Share stories because Jesus loves people and he wants to use us to bring his love and welcome and goodness and all that he has into the world around us. And he does it through us because we are his followers. So we've all got stories to share. So let's be encouraged to share our stories and see what Jesus does in this season. How does that sound? So why don't I pray and then I'll hand back to you, Adam. Jesus, I thank you that you are alive today, that you meet us in our lives in real ways, that you meet us where we are because you love us. We thank you for all of these stories we've looked at over the summer and the different people that encountered you from different backgrounds and different circumstances, but in you, they found something life-changing. They found something that satisfied and that rescued them. And Lord God, you know, we know what you've done in our lives and we've experienced, we've got stories to share. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, would you empower us with your grace, with your boldness, and with your compassion that we would share what you've done with us and through us with the people that we know so that your love and welcome and grace and mercy and kindness and faithfulness and strength can reach them as well. We thank you, Lord, for your great love for every person. And would we be carriers of that into our week? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.